2: Welcome, everybody. It is Spit. This is the show where David and Scott talk all things surfing and um, oftentimes go off the reservation and talk, you know, sourdough bread and or philosophy. And uh, it's Tuesday. It is September 22nd, the day of our Lord. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good midday, David.
0: Good midday to you, Scott. Um, Sourdough hasn't made it onto the podcast yet. That only... Sourdough conversation only took place off air.
2: Oh, dude, I just pulled out two big loaves. I was going to do some bread bragging. In fact, I did. If you go to my Instagram on my story, you can see my bread bragging. I just pulled out. It's steaming hot right now. So
0: this Sourdough. has been a huge trend with COVID and quarantine is for some reason, everybody's getting into baking bread. Um, I want to hear your journey. I have not gotten in yet. I do a lot of cooking, I don't do a lot of baking, and I don't really bake bread, but yeah. um, my my concern with it is, I would want to um, expedite the learning process faster than I want to actually eat the bread. So I, w- I would want to make three loaves a week, but you can't even eat one full loaf a week, right?
2: Oh, I beg to do <laughs> <laughs> We're eating bread, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I went from paleo to sourdough. <laughs> Uh, we have no problem eating the bread here. I do have a a young adult, you know, 22-year-old son who helps me eat it. And, um, and you know, butter butter makes anything taste good. So you put a lot of butter on the sourdough. It's good. So, okay, well, real quick, my journey is my brother-in-law, Kurt, Ross, has been bringing it over, you know, for like Thanksgiving and stuff, and he's really into it. And so it kind of like, just planted a little bit of a seed, and then um, another dear friend of mine started making it during covid and and he brought it over and it tasted so good, it was so awesome that my wife and I were like, "Hey, make us some more bread you know we'll pay you we'll pay you for the bread like it's such good bread we'll pay you for the fresh baked bread and you can only ask somebody to make you bread so many times when eventually you're like, we have to make our own bread and so that's what got us going, and, and there's plenty of um, instructional YouTube videos out there, and certainly I watched a bunch of those, and um, you know, Googled it and got into it. And, um, and here we are. I'm probably, I don't know, nine or 10 loaves in. How easy or hard is it? Super easy. If I can do it, that's, okay. that's kind of a telltale. Uh, how picky are you about your butter? My butter. Um, pretty picky. What do Actually, you What do you get? We're using that um, pure Irish gold Kerrygold. Kerrygold is that what it is, yeah. Kerrygold's
0: great in terms oh, of like a a mass, massively uh, produced and widely available butter. Kerrygold is probably as good as it gets.
2: Yeah, that's what we're doing. Yeah, that's good. Yeah,
0: um, we so we don't bake our own bread, but there's this little um, kind of gourmet market right around the corner it's a grocery store but it's like smaller and everything's super expensive so we only buy specialty items there we don't like stock up but one thing that we do is buy a ten dollar loaf of bread there it's a local bakery they don't bake it there but it's a it's a loaf of bread they do um they're kind of sourdough based but then they'll have like a Gruyere bread or a rosemary bread rosemary and olive bread or whatever and they are ten dollars which seemed astronomical to me the first time yeah and then we got you we ate it and we're like oh well I can't go back to eating regular bread
2: at this point <laughs> I think I need a ten dollar loaf in my life every week and so that's what we're hooked on now well that's cool and, and and yeah that's you know we've made garlic and herb bread here um so that's what you can do with the with the sourdough bread right is just add stuff to it totally tired to of throwing it into the oven so it's easy to to get creative and you can certainly make you know cherry bread or whatever well it looks good
0: i'm i'm very impressed it looks beautiful every time you post it which is or send it which is uh every other day
2: i think well the latest one time. is incredible it's my best one ever of the 10 <laughs> <that I've done laughs> it should get better every time because it's 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 it has risen much higher so when I did the folds, like you do these folds to kind of capture air in the dough, you know, you pull and you. And um, for whatever reason, this one's much got a much grander scale, and um, I'm excited about uh, cutting some up here after this show. We could tell the passion. We haven't seen this level of passion
0: since you went bowling. Right. <laughs> um, bowling. I do make I do make pizza
2: dough, and noodles oh. and pasta. I got to admit, I was part of my, knowing that you're a cook, first, I wanted to get validation from you, which you gave me, which was nice of you. And secondly, um, I wasn't sure if you bore a baker or not, and I was hoping that you were going to chime in and and we would have some bonding there. But I'm going to throw this thing out to you two to consider getting into it. Um, I think you'll enjoy it.
0: Yeah, it's, I'm not opposed to it and I do bake just a little bit, but I just don't, I can't imagine myself eating as much bread as I would actually want to make is the
2: problem. Well, they make great gifts. Okay. Yes.
0: Find somebody with an avocado tree and just trade. for a I
2: mean, lot of avocado toast. That's yeah. definitely happening. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, um, glad to see you're using your time. You're at home fruitfully yeah. with your family. Yeah. yeah. What's new, the, what else is new in your life? What's that board behind
2: you? Oh, That is a board I purposely put there for you guys to look at. It, Javier made me that board. It's oh, a, yeah. It's a um, – not an EPS, but an um, extruded. X- XTR. XTR extruded, right? Yeah, because epoxy is expanded and XTR is extruded. Right. Polystyrene. And it's um, – it's a really killer board. It's 6'2". It's, it's a good board for good four to five foot waves. Um, it's got a concave deck. It's a really cool board. It's light. I really, really like it, And it, but it needs a good wave. What does the concave concave deck do? Well, it's supposed to keep you a little bit you know lower center of gravity, right? To the, in some ways, though, I, I think um, too much concave in the deck can be a problem. When, like, say you do a bottom turn and you go up the face, and you want to set that inside rail to pull into a section or to drive. So, setting that inside rail. Now that I'm lower than than the rail, if my foot's actually lower than the rail. It makes that setting of that inside rail <clears throat> a little bit more trickier. You have to, uh, or tricky. You have to, um, you know, do it sort of con en fuerza, You know, with with um, with vigor, you know, you have to set the rail. You just can't kind of baby it. Got it. Right. Is it.
0: Is it ideal for a certain style of wave, like maybe hollow surf?
2: Yes, that's exactly what it is. Ideal okay. for. It, was, it was sort of built to go down to um, Sinaloa or um, Selena Cruz, those types of waves. It's a good board for like those right point sand bottom fast. Waves. Yeah.
0: I rode um a shortboard a while back that just had a flat deck and even that was noticeably you had to adjust your surfing. You know, it's like I'd get up and just kind of like on a right, get up and just go into my normal flow for a bottom turn and the first one I just fell flat on my face because I wasn't kind of pushing down with my toes hard yeah, enough. Exactly. And I and I thought I was like, man, I cooked that. What? Like what's my problem? And then I realized, no, it's that flat deck. You kind of you just got to get you different momentum you got to push it a little bit differently
2: yeah there's yeah it's it's amazing how nuanced and how um sensitive you know we have to be with our with our boards those flat decks were super classic in the 80s i mean that was really what everyone wrote it was a, a real flat deck and
0: yeah
2: and things are changing it's, that's the beauty of surfboard design it's all cyclical i'm looking right now i'm on mark andrini's website I'm looking at the 6.8 pocket rocket, and I'm absolutely drooling. I'm like, like if I wasn't on a show with you right now, I would be ordering this sport. That's kind of how lame I am and or good I am, depending I on... I thought you are also on a buying freeze. You should be selling right oh, now. I know. I am, but here... So Okay, let me start off the show with this. The East Coast is bombing right now, right? They're get- Hurricane Paulette just mowed through there with killer waves. Hurricane Teddy is just pumping. Certain areas are kind of blown out, but certain areas are getting tons of waves and it's gonna clean up and be good there for a couple of days here. And so I'm watching it on the surfline cams, which is awesome, right? The surfline cam is just incredible. And so it got me thinking about winter. And then I started thinking about my boards for winter. And it's funny, you know, like I think about accessibility of boards. In other words, like, I could call some people that I know really well and order a board, but I might not get it for five months. Right. And 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 that might be the case with Mark, too, but I'm just looking at some boards, and I'm like, okay, God, I'd love to have something like this. Who can I order it from that I can get it in three weeks, you know? And there's a lot of guys that can do that, you know? So anyway, I'm looking. I'm on Andrini's site, and Mark might be able to get me a board pretty quick. I actually ran into him. Down in the uh, Mazatlan Airport when I was bowling, he was no bowling way. as well. Yeah, he and I go to the same bowling alley. Apparently, <laughs> and, <laughs> good for Mark. Yeah, it was really cool. I I ran into Mark in that airport, and I ran into Hunter Joslin, my good friend Hunter from Indo Boards, the balance board, Indo balance board, just yeah. randomly. You know, but anyway.
0: So Mark, I, I don't, I don't want to. Um burst your bubble or like dissuade you from buying boards or discussing boards because this is great for the business and these guys are all our friends so we should hype it however I also I consider um, real world limitations and I would think that you have whatever happens this winter you have probably three to five boards for any one day this winter that would work perfectly fine and be really well suited for that surf for every single day of winter so I'm not sure what the Andrini is going to add to your quiver that doesn't already exist.
2: Well, okay, so the very first year that we did the Sacred Craft, the boardroom show, the icons of foam. Um, no, it was the second year. We honored Billy Castor, right? And the board that we replicated was the Chris O'Rourke model, which was a single wing, pintail, single fin, Chris O'Rourke's signature model that Bill made, and it was a, its a killer board. It Was six ten. Bird let me borrow the board so that the guys could replicate it. And Bird, of course, was cool enough to let me ride the original. He's like, "Yeah, just wax it up and go ride it." So I rode it. Really liked it. And then I took the winning board, and I liked the winning board so much. Ricky Carroll made the winning board, and it was just—it's an exact replica. And I rode that winning board for a couple of, maybe three winter seasons, a 610 single fin. And I promised myself I wouldn't ride it anymore because was, I was starting to like ding it up and get it kind of destroyed. And I wanted to keep it in my like collection of boards. I have all the winning boards from all of the 17, 18 sacred crafts, 20, 28, 20 sacred crafts that we've done, boardroom shows icons of phone presented by us blanks so i need to get that board back in my riding stable but i can't ride the one that i'm holding on to so i'm looking for something like that that's like a little bit more volume more of like a seven 1977 single fin just got kind of the wide point pushed a couple inches forward all of that stuff oh do you want me to show off the bread is this the big one (laughs)
0: You got a piece of toast coming your way right now? The oh, my, my
2: Katrina, gosh.
0: That's
2: whole loaf.
0: That is, that is a head-sized loaf.
2: Isn't that nice?
0: <laughs> that is gorgeous.
2: Beautifully scored. See?
0: Truly. Adds lots of texture to each bite. You guys really got it down. I would pay more than 10 bucks for that.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. It smells wonderful. But
0: anyway, um, that... That story you just told sounds A, like first world problems, and B, like a whole lot of justification
2: to add a new board to your quiver. That's right. That's exactly right. And did you see how my wife just walked in with bread and didn't say a word about it? Like, she's all okay with this whole deal.
0: She's not okay with it. That was a distraction ploy to help you lose concentration. Uh, her, goal, her goal is to fatten you up so you can surf less.
2: Did that you work? don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. I believe that to be working interestingly. I got a call from a guy who's working with Taylor Knox, and as you know, Taylor's got full radical mid mid uh you know that's what I'm looking for, kind of like forty year old workout regime right
1: oh, for yeah. all of us
2: for guys totally. like you and me and all of us that are starting to get a little maybe pudgy in the round in the middle area so <clears throat> I'm interested to see what they send me regarding uh, Taylor's online workout program. Cause I've always looked at his stuff and gone, and I know you've interviewed him and I I'm hoping to interview him soon, but I mean the thing about the reason I would buy into Taylor's thing is because I've seen him in the water. I surf with him a lot. He's here in the winter a lot surfing at Swami's and all of his stuff is, seems real surf centric. Yeah. Like all the stretching and everything. And, He's kind of inspiring, you know, like he's that mid forties guy that surfs like he's 35, not 45. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I sincerely think that I did my best surfing when I was around 35 years old. Really? Yeah. Cause I wasn't doing aerials or anything. Right. You know? Yeah. I, all my timing and everything was really, this was 20 years ago. All my timing was good. St- you know, like not that I've lost any, but my, every. I was still sprightly. Yeah. And um, of course, I was at the peak of my ability to read the ocean and my eyesight was still okay. And, you know, my hearing was better, you know, all of those things.
0: It's an interesting thought. I was talking to somebody yesterday who um, was telling me a story about his dad who got the best wave. He was, you know, on a phone call with his dad and his dad's in his fifties and his dad said, Oh yeah, I got such good surf yesterday. I got the best wave of my life. And I was thinking to myself, what an amazing thought to get the best wave of your wife, life in your 50s. That's enough reason to keep doing it, you know? Um, and I don't, and I think it's what you're saying. I'm At first I heard that and I'm like, well, yeah, it's his best wave. He's forgotten like the barrels that he got at thumping beach breaks in his 20s and 30s. And so this was a long, easy to surf wave. And it, he had more fun on it than he can remember having maybe. But then I I thought about other conversations I've had with guys like Terry Chung, for sure. And um, guys in their maybe Hackman even said this to me, guys in their 50s, 60s, looking at 70, who are still performing better. They're increasing their level of performance. And it's because of what you said about your ocean awareness and attunement is sharper than it ever was. That only compounds as you get older. And so you take fewer risks you're probably not going to wipe out as much you're probably going to sit in better position you're going to pick the right wave and then if you're looking to get barreled you know you don't need a huge amount of athleticism to be able to do that once you're up and riding if you're on a big enough wave and so you can actually get the best waves of your life for decades beyond what you would think
2: yeah it's it's an you're right it is interesting it got me thinking like who's the oldest guy that got the best wave of his life like how right. old is that guy? like was hackman or terry chung i mean those guys are hackman's probably 70
0: yeah
2: right and terry chung's probably right there too yeah so the question is you know is he like how old is that guy how old right. is that guy that got the best wave of his life it's almost a competition now you know like
0: it's true of course yeah i
2: want to be that guy well it's you you
0: can't do it just by surfing, you have to do what you're talking about. You got to get on the Taylor Knox arc method or whatever he's selling, you know, yeah. because if you yeah sit at home eating sourdough and don't do any exercise, you're not going to perform at your peak when you're in the water.
2: I know. I know. That's what I said. I went from paleo to sourdough. So. I know. It's fine. It's a good joke. Yeah.
0: Um, well, let me know how that goes. I think what I do like about Taylor Knox's thing is it's not, uh, there is a lot of, It's all about mobility. It's not like strength. There is certainly strength involved in it, but it's, it's a really well-rounded program, it seems. And a lot of meditative
2: practice built into it too. Well, I mean, you know how it is. You get these calls and people, I get them all the time. And I know you do too. Like, Hey, um, this guy's doing this. He wants to be on your podcast and they just basically want a PR spot, you know, and that's fine. I get that. But I sort of go like the Howard Stern method of, look, we're going to talk for an hour and the last five minutes we'll talk about whatever it is you're selling. But I'm way more interested in hearing about, and you tell me, you interviewed Taylor recently, right? Like within the last. So I'm, I'm interested and maybe you guys touched on this, but I'm interested in hearing about, you know, the K2 challenge that he won at Toto Santos. You know, he was the very first winner at the time. He wasn't, known as a big wave surfer. In fact, he's still not known as a big wave surfer, right? Right. He won the, the very first double XL, what was then known as the K2 Challenge. And, um, you know, there's there's a ton of great stories that I'd like to sort of um, seed for him to start, um, you know, the, to then take and, and run with and talk to me about and, and tell the listeners about.
0: I'm sure he did that with you. No, we didn't. I mean, we didn't talk about specific surf stories from the past like that at all. We talked more about you know, worldview and perspective and his mindset and why he was the bonehead surfer and how he's able to overcome that and um, more kind of those things.
2: Wow, that's kind of interesting. Philosophy. Mm.
0: Um, Well, I don't know if we just jump right in here, what you have to discuss today, but do you want to discuss Surf 100, the STAB event?
2: Well, I tried, I was going to call... Text you this morning, I've tried all morning long to watch that, to figure out a way that I was going to get to see something of it, some boiled down version. Is there something out there? If there is, I couldn't find it.
0: Uh, I don't know if there's a boiled down version, but I have the same ambition this morning because I knew that it was a good event and I wanted to watch it. And I just um, hadn't had a hundred minutes to invest in it in the last, since they aired it. So this morning I actually watched the full thing in its entirety logged on, gave them $15 and watched it from beginning to end as I was doing some stuff around the house. Yeah. Um, it's freaking so sick. Yeah. It's so good.
2: Yeah. It's totally worth the money, isn't it?
0: Well, I don't know. It's hard to justify. I was thinking about what else do I spend $15 on? Obviously loaves of bread. A movie. Um, <laughs> Not, not really That's, though. You know, it's like I spend $15 on Netflix and I watch 100 movies. Yeah. Right. So if I'm gonna rent a movie, I do. I think I pay like three ninety nine or something now from Apple or Amazon Prime. I guess yeah. unless it's a new release, but I don't really watch the new releases for that reason.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: so yeah, what in terms of entertainment do you pay fifteen dollars for one pop? If you're going to a movie theater, you would pay the fifteen bucks, but I thought that that price is steep. I think Stab is doing it based on what their needs are. Obviously, that's what you should do when you're running a business. But if you and I, as a consumer, just kind of weighed it against what other um, entertainment we pay for, it's not justifiable, except for the fact that we don't. There's no comparable in the surf world. Like there isn't any other long-form surf content that is asking us to charge anything or that is offering like a live
2: experience. Yeah. But at 15 bucks, you're no longer get to be part of the judging panel. Like they should almost discount it a little bit. Oh, you, you are. still get to judge? Well, now that
0: I, now that I watched it after the fact, I paid the yeah. video on demand version. Yeah. If you paid the 15
2: bucks and watched it live, then you would judge. No, but I mean, now you're paying the same right. price. So they should trim it down to like 999 or whatever, just because right. you don't get the full interactive. You know, right. And the other thing about the 15 bucks is you and I, well, I can't speak for you, but like I will easily pay $15 for an, an experiential Mm -hmm. entertainment thing. Like, let's say um, it's 15 bucks to um, go see, like, I don't know, go, you know, just do something where I'm doing it rather than me watching it. You know, like, so if if it's fifteen bucks to go to the county fair or fifteen bucks for me to go have an experience here or fifteen bucks to go golfing or fifteen whatever it is, but I'm involved in the I'm engaged physically yeah. in it, fifteen bucks is no big deal. But fifteen bucks to pay and then to just sit and absorb does seem like a little bit much, like because there's so much out there for us. Right. It's much less cheap, you know, much less expensive.
0: But I think again, to Stab's point, they have a business to run. Yes, And they're choosing to do this as a pay-per-view option, not have sponsorships plastered all over it. So I was fine with it. Um, look, 15 bucks ultimately isn't a stop point. You know, right. the difference between 10 and 15 isn't a stop point. So I paid it. I'm happy with the uh, what I got out of it. It was highly entertaining. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of successes in this. And I'm going to try to enumerate them for you. Yes. And then I'll give you some highlights as well. But among the successes, four surfers is the right amount of surfers. You know, when we always talk about the CT having 32 surfers, that's too many. And we've said, oh, well, they should just have, I don't know, 16. 16 over the course of the year might be doable. But honestly, four surfers in 100 minutes was awesome. I don't know that there's a better format. 100 minutes is plenty of time for each of them to kind of find their place in the lineup and get their two waves Four surfers is enough for me to be able to understand who's who, what their strengths are, what their backstory is. And I'm invested in each of them for different reasons. I'm rooting for each of them for different reasons. So I think that all of that was um, a big improvement
2: upon what we're used to anyways. What about downtime? Was there downtime that was uh, like, do you feel like the, the, the your economy of time was well spent?
0: It was, there was still a bit of downtime, but Stab did a good job of pre-producing a couple of packages. They had profile pieces on each of the surfers that they filmed in advance. Um, They had little, they detoured a Michael Ciamarella who's their in-house head judge. And he had a little comedic routine that they would cut together with old footage of Kelly. And then they had the commentary team in San Clemente. Um, So this was all filmed a couple of weeks prior, the 100 minutes filmed in real time. Then they make it available to everybody at the same time around the world and the commentary team does that portion live. So they're watching in real time as us viewers are. And so that was Yadin Nickel, Dane Reynolds and Salema Masekela. Sal does a fine job hosting. Dane honestly adds virtually zero to the conversation. He's um, he seems almost bothered to be there. He has surfing expertise, but he's not really offering it up in the in the uh, insightful way that, let's say, Kelly Slater does. Kelly's obviously eager to talk. I think Kelly probably has a bit more narcissism than Dane has, and so Kelly's eager to talk and eager to share, and Dane kind of feels like he's almost too cool, and he's also, I don't know, just not that insightful. You know, like even when he does share something, it's kind of like, yeah, but. I can assess me being a low intermediate surfer, can assess that at the waves at North Point. I didn't need Dane to tell me. And Yaden was a great addition. Yadin is uh gregarious, he's energetic, he's like getting out of his chair, he's giving you all these insights because he grew up in that area. He knows all of the locals.
2: Hey. Uh-oh.
0: Sophie's got barking. Uh, he knows all of the locals, so he's giving you backstories. Because, again, this was filmed during during a free surf. <coughs> Hold on a second. Hey,
2: David's going to beat his dog. He's probably got an old chain back there. Oh, did you hear that? That was a... Oh, he's beating his dog right now. That is horrible. I don't know how... Somebody should call... Animal control in Huntington Beach. Oh, they don't have animal control in Huntington Beach. That is just horrible. Sorry. I can't believe you did that. What? Oh, you're gonna—you missed my commentary the whole time. You were gone. <laughs> it's bonus coverage. Bonus. I'll listen later.
0: Content. I'll listen later. Um. So yeah, Yaden was great in that. Again, this was filmed during a free surf. They didn't get permits and keep people from the lineup. So there's actual surfers in the lineup that aren't involved with the production. And as those guys are getting waves, Yadin's like, Oh, that's so-and-so, you know, he has three kids and his brother used to surf out here and charge it. And all of that stuff was really helpful to providing interest and color, you
2: know? Yeah, that's cool.
0: Um, The other thing that this allows for by not having the actual permits and trying to create boundaries for what they're doing. It leaves open this window for magic to happen. And it happened a couple of different times. And the biggest moment was 19 year old Ollie Henry got the wave of the day. And so the four surfers are Jay Davies, Jack Robinson, Jacob Wilcox, and Kale Walsh, 19 year old Kale Walsh. I think he's about 19. So Kale was sitting out the back and he didn't get away for 40 minutes and the other 3 surfers are putting scores on the boards and the commentators are like what is kale doing and so the camera shows that he's sitting deeper than everybody and there's one guy deeper than kale and they're like oh well who's that guy and like that guy is going to like if the good wave comes kale might not even get it cuz there's one guy sitting deeper than kale you know well kale ended up getting a wave and then like the bigger better waves were behind it and this kid was in priority Position and this thing is literally the wave of the day. It's lurching, and Jack Robinson has his mic on in the water. And Jack is number two in priority, but they're kind of shoulder to shoulder. And he actually says to the guy, he goes, "Hey, I'll give you three hundred bucks for this wave." And Ollie like didn't even flinch. He like was like, "No." And Jack's like, "Well, you better go, go, don't back out, go, go." And you see this thing lurching like you would do your buddies who's in position. You kind of gotta like hype them up, you know, or you almost are hoping they do back out and you can go. But Jack pulls back at the last second. This kid, Ollie, just knifes into this crazy – I mean, the thing was double to triple overhead. Right at the bottom, makes a subtle adjustment, and he's standing in this huge cavern. The thing's eight feet wide, and he sole arches back and just stands there and gets blown <laughs> out of the thing. And Yada Nickel and Dane Reynolds are like, oh my God, who was that? That was insane, you know? And the fact that Jack Robinson was trying to bribe him off of it is also incredible. And so, like, that moment was magic. The WSL could never have that moment, you know? And so that's what I loved about this format was this kind of element of relatability to our normal surf session, but with demigods, you know?
2: Yeah. That's cool, man. I'm stoked. I actually read some stuff on stab. Like I said, I was searching for it, and um, they basically are like, "Hey, spoiler alert! If you read the rest of this, we're going to be kind of breaking down what happened, So, be advised." But of course, I read it, and I had heard about this. And but you, your your version's a a little bit more magical than what I read. Well,
0: what's funny too is what I um, Jack Robinson is such a frother; he would not let it go for the rest of the 90 minutes or a hundred minutes, he paddles over to Ollie and he's like, hey Ollie, tell me about that wave. What is it, was it as good as it looked? Like, how big was it? When you were inside of it, how big was it in there? Oh, I, can't believe you did, I can't believe you didn't let me go on that one. Dude, I would've given you $300, I would, wait, maybe more. How much would it take? What if I gave you 500? Like he just could not let it go, you know? Um, so which cool. is rad to see that Jack's like that frothed out when you know he's gotten way better waves than that out there repeatedly yeah he just needs more.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, so among, among the other highlights or what also was great about the four guys having four surfers is that each of them did their own kind of best thing. Like Jay Davies got the best wave of the heat. Jack Robinson won the event. He got the two best waves of the heat. But to be honest, Jacob Wilcox might've done the best surfing of the, of the hundred minutes like if you tabulated all of the wave scores, he would have scored higher than Jack. Jack happened to get the two best, but Jacob Wilcox is surfing unbelievably well. Well, And then Kale Walsh waiting and sitting out the back, he did get one really sick one. He just couldn't back up the score. So it was like there was, each of them had their kind of highlight moments that you could, they could really go home proud of. Um, another thought that I had was, they were talking about how Jacob Wilcox and Jack Robinson grew up together. They're the same age. They competed against one another since they were whatever, eight years old. And I got to thinking, because Jacob surfs amazingly, right? So why is it that we all love Jack Robinson so much and we barely have heard of Jacob Wilcox? And part of me thinks it is the machine, the media machine spun Jack into our awareness. But I don't think that's fully responsible because you just watch Jack stand on a wave and there's something about his aura. And even though Jacob does these incredible turns that you cannot deny objectively, there's some gravitational pull that your eye has to Jack. You have any thoughts on why this happens in surfing?
2: Mm, I mean, I guess we always use the N word. I guess it's the nuance in little thing, you know, the little things like, you know how maybe he waits until the last minute to drop in, and his hand positioning, and maybe the the way that his his body is contorted, and the depth of the bend in his deep bottom turn, and you know I I don't obviously don't have one specific thing where you can go yeah this is it, um, and of course then there's the body of work that he's presented to us, which sort of adds to the aura. You know, whether it's through Billabong as a kid kind of pumping him up or um, whoever his sponsor was. I think it was Billabong. He had Quicksilver when he was really young and Billabong for most of it. You know, what he's done in Hawaii at a young age, um, you know, some of it could be that he has this sort of classic Australian ocker father who's just like, you know, helping to – you know cement sort of a foundation for him as a young charger all of that stuff plays into it I guess Um, and some people are just a little quieter you know maybe Jacob's just a little bit demure and maybe just not as like doesn't necessarily want to be not that Jack does because Jack comes off as very humble in my opinion. I can see you're searching for the answer, but
0: I don't think we've landed on it, and I I can't pinpoint it either. But there are certain figures in surf that have it, and yeah. it's certainly John John Florence is one of those. Tom Curran would be one of those. Dave Rostovich I would put in that category, um, where it's like, yeah, there's, there's other style,
2: those are all a kind of style masters. So I think I guess that's a big part of it, right?
0: Could be, because there's Strong plenty.
2: Bob has that,
0: yeah. There's plenty, like, if Gabriel Medina is the most, the biggest kind of um, adversary, club. well, no, adversary for John John Florence. They both have two world titles. They're both kind of at their prime at the same time. They both get barreled really well. They both get, you know, do crazy airs. Why are we more kind of drawn towards John? You and Not only you and I, I feel like I can speak for most of the surf world where we're kind of drawn to John John's aura, for lack of a better word. Well,
2: I mean, look, I'm, I think a lot of it for me has to do with, so what you're basically saying is that they're equal. Why are we drawn towards one, not the other? Right. And for me, the reason that I'm drawn to John John is, has to do with his humility. Okay. And his, he's got sort of a sincere humbleness about him. He's also North American. Um. You know, I mean, I'm gonna wave the American flag just as hard as they're gonna wave the Brazilian flag, you know? That's well, part but that's not all that's definitely not a big chunk of it for my draw to John John. You know, plus we've seen John John since I've literally saw John John in the surfer magazine offices when he was like five years old. Right. I mean, Brothers just like little rug rats, it was crazy. Yeah. So we've seen John John, you know, in the North American media and in the global media. And, um, I mean, I'm sure that weighs into it.
0: Humility is an interesting one because that is a common denominator with all those guys I just named. Yeah. The thing is
2: they're right sized. They know where they are and they're right sized in the world. You know what I mean? They're not, they're neither the, you know, superheroes of their fantasies nor are they the, um, the lepers of their fears.
0: Yeah. Um, it's, The other problem with humility is there's plenty of other surfers that are um, humble that don't have, don't. Okay. Well, there's other surfers that express humility that don't have the aura factor. So you can't just say that humility will give you that allure, you know, whatever. Wade, Wade Carmichael seems to be pretty humble, but he certainly doesn't have that aura. Um, But it seems to be a factor for sure, because Tom Curran Rasta, all those guys definitely share that.
2: Jack Robinson certainly shares that. So Yeah, and maybe the fact that we can't put our thumb on it is part of it, you know? Yeah, I guess so. And, but it made me feel a
0: little bit sad for Jacob Wilcox. I was like, dude, this kid, how come he's surfing just as hard, charging, like all, getting just as many results, and then everybody still wants Jack's autograph?
2: Don't <laughs> feel maybe. sad. There's okay. a lo- lot better people to feel sad for.
0: Uh, one person I didn't feel sad for, but is worth mentioning, is Jay Davies, who is currently working as a uh, on a tugboat. That's his <laughs> that's his new job. So he had a two year he had two years left on his deal with Ruka, and when COVID hit, they cut him, and so he found himself needing income, and so he's working on a tugboat. And they actually go and um, stab went in their backstory piece and interviewed him and like showed him doing his job, pulling big boats in to port, and. I started by saying I don't feel sad for him. And I don't. I it was that. Yeah, I do too. It kind of endeared me to him. And yeah. if if the result means that I don't get to see Jay Davies surf as much, that part bums me out because I love him as a surfer. But I was like, you know, everybody has to work, dude. And like living the life of a pro surfer, you're lucky that you ever got paid for a day, no matter who you are, no matter how talented you are. You're lucky if you ever got paid for one day to surf. And so
2: I don't feel bad that. You don't
0: anymore, you know?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I'm stoked. I, I'm, I'm real stoked to see guys um, embrace sort of, um, you know, the second phase of their their livelihoods, their their fiscal livelihoods, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you may have seen, I saw on Instagram, DJ Hobgood was like, hey, check it out. I got my real estate license in Florida and I'm reading these books. And I mean, it was just a, a really cool Instagram thing, you know, because – he was embracing it. You know, he sees the writing on the wall or it's been there for a while, I'm sure. And he's trying to make changes for the better. And, um, there's, there's no such thing as bad work, you know, like hard work is hard work, whether you're at Lowe's or the coffee store or, uh, you know, on the, on the water as a tugboat guy, a pilot or whatever he is and whatever it is, you know, like hard work, hard work, um, should be um i mean it's it's rewarding obviously personally but it should be something that uh, and it is something that, that we all sort of hold as a really high ideal yeah
0: i agree and i um i keep in contact a little bit with cj and his wife is in real estate that's a great thing for them to be able to do together and by the way he's positioned so well like who wouldn't yeah. buy, who wouldn't yeah. want to work with CJ if they're buying exactly. or selling their home in Florida, like in Orlando area, you know?
2: Exactly. No, you totally nailed it. You're going to crush it. I got it. my choice between Steve Jones or CJ right. Hotgood. Exactly. CJ <laughs> Maybe he'll tell me a story. They're each going to get
0: 6%, whatever. I could see CJ and his wife having a reality show on HGTV next year.
2: Right, me too. You know I'm what I mean? On an Escalade, just cruising in like a white Escalade, going, yeah, we're going to pull up and show this. Yeah, I could see that.
0: Selling homes and like renovating or something. I don't know what the concept is, but I could easily see them doing that. Me too. Um, awesome. Well, this segues perfectly into Adriana Souza's retirement, if you want to discuss that. I don't know what else you got.
2: I mean, I think he just did. Well (laughs) that's it. I mean,
0: mean is Adriana's retired. I got more to say about it because it it dovetails with what you're saying. Like it's important to identify when either writing is on the wall or aside from that, aside from external factors, it's important to identify when you're maturing past a level of wanting to travel the world eleven months out of the year, living out of a suitcase and not investing in the relationships of people who have invested in you, you know? And so Adriano said a number of different things uh, made me come to this decision. For the past 15 years, I gave my life to surfing and I was completely dedicated. I lived surfing 1000% of the way. Competing without passion is not the attitude of a champion and it doesn't match with the energy of the sport. Now I would like to try some other things like being a part of specialty events without so much pressure or just go on a fun surf trip with, trip with friends. I want to celebrate these past 15 years. During this time, I built relationships around the world with loved ones and developed a strong connection with family, friends, and fans. He's going to compete next year, presuming there is a world tour in 2021. And that'll be his farewell season. Um, so what do you, what do you think about this? A couple you, a,
2: okay. Yeah, please. Adriano a, you and I have, spoke um, about our admiration for adriano de Souza. um he's been our sort of blue collar lunch pail world champion since he did it and um his determination is second to none which is why he became a world champion i was gonna say it, it's a bummer if the covid situation has forced this to occur but since he's competing already he's committed to 2021 then that's certainly not the case, because I, I would say that if anybody had to quit their dream because of the COVID thing, that's a bummer to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like let's say somebody loses sponsorship and it's all kind of unraveling, and it's like, oh, you know that that to me would have been a bummer. You know, I, I wouldn't. I want to see him go out on his own terms, and it sounds like he is. So I'm stoked for him. And um, I don't know if I really want to see him. And he, like on on the other hand, if you're just mailing in 2021 because you get to do like a Brazilian, you know, world, you know, like, what do they call those? Victory lap? Victory lap, thank you. Then I'm kind of like, ah, you know what? Let's let his spot be taken by somebody who's hungry and young and ready to charge it the way he was 15 years ago. Um, but that's neither, that's not, you know, it's do none you of th- my
0: Do you think his choice is based on the fact that he knows he can't compete? With, e- like, well, with Eatalo, for example.
2: Oh, with the young. Yeah. Well, that's probably a big part of it. But I mean, he went so far as to say that he wasn't, his heart wasn't in it anymore.
0: Well, that's different. If your heart, if your passions change, that's one thing. But if you, your passion is still there, but you recognize you can't surf as good as Eatalo can. Is that what but, you're
2: getting from it? Like, I'm not, I'm read, asking
0: if that's what you think. It
2: might be, but what you read, what I heard you read was that I've lost my spark.
0: Yeah, but I don't that is what he said but if he felt like he couldn't compete with italo i don't know that he would say that I would, i'm i wondering would. if i'm wondering if that's kind of behind it where look kelly slater still uh dilutes himself to believe that he dude, could
2: come on no. so slater can do this no he can't slater has got the air game dude slater all if
0: right, the waves right. are if the waves are barreling in eight feet slater yeah. can beat everybody in the world if if he's surfing crappy snapper that gets moved to Deba, if he's surfing, you know, whatever, all the other spots, if he's even surfing in his own wave pool, he can't compete with Idolo, Gabriel,
2: um, John, John. Should I go on? You know. Well, no, but I mean, this. Felipe. To me, I mean, I hate to sound like a homer for Kelly, but to me, this sounds like. I mean, my my response to you is. Well, then why aren't all the contests in six to eight foot barreling beach breaks or North point, like the North point event. Yeah. Like what happened to the purple blob tour? You know, like if we're having three foot deba events, we're all tuning out. Like it's over Johnny. Like that's not exciting anymore. No, there's just too much killer content out there. I'm not going to watch three foot deba with Ethan Ewing going up against whoever and an onshore wind picking up. So, 100% 100% agree. And if that
0: was the world tour scenario, Adriano couldn't compete there either. Yeah, like I, with the top uh, five
2: to 10. Adriano charges. I think if it was like, if, if there was a tour that was eight foot Fran- French beach breaks, Adriano has a chance. Not at the top
0: five and maybe not even at the top 10.
2: All right. Like I'm
0: wondering, it, I'm yeah. wondering how much of his decision. So my thought with this is Adriano's biggest contribution to our sport is teaching us that work ethic pays off and that milking a wave to the inside, doing a foam climb, you know, 99 times out of hundred isn't going to really push, change the winner of the heat, but one time out of 100, it does. And that score ends up meet, making a difference or putting you into a different seating in the next event. And that one little thing happening in that event too, then pushes you to the next And maybe this year you didn't win a world championship, but you went from 22nd to 18th. And then one little thing falls into place next year by working that hard and you move up to 11th. And in 2015, those things all coalesced and he won his world championship. And so I think that level of dogged determination and work ethic is what his contribution was. And a lot of his predecessors, I guess, are building off of that and having a lot of success. But he doesn't need to keep teaching us that lesson and his talent isn't good enough to actually keep up with everybody who's applying that work ethic with raw talent. And so do you want to do the next five years on tour when I think he got married a year or two ago. So your wife probably has some, you know, um, requests, (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and it's like do you want to spend the next five, ter- five years bumming your wife out bumming yourself out because you're not competing at the level that you want to and burning out and i think he's smart enough to
2: recognize that he doesn't want to do those things i think you nailed it you, you you've thought this out and it makes sense what you said and i would also add to what you're saying is that italo has that work ethic italo has got adriano's drive so you know it's that's that's gonna be hard to beat.
0: And Ilo's probably eight years younger. So he's got, you know, he's just, he's, he's positioned better in his life right now to spend yeah. all of that time. So what do you think he'll do next? Adriana? Yeah.
2: Sell real estate? <laughs> Baked bread? I don't know. Um, the world is his oyster. Speaking of uh, an oyster, I've got a breakdown for you of what's happening in Hawaii. As we move, we're just... You know, literally a month away, maybe, from the Hawaiian season. The Hawaiian winter surfing season, the Hawaiian Pro at Haleiwa, the first event of the Vans Triple Crown, it's tentatively set, according to the WSL website, it's tentatively set. I think it kicks off November 12th. The women's Maui Pro, the Shishidio Maui Pro at Honolulu Bay, November 25th. It's upcoming. Um, same with the Vans triple, the Vans World Cup at Sunset Beach, November 25th. Upcoming, the Billabong Pipe Masters, December 8th. Upcoming, according to the WSL website. Right now, David, as of September 22nd today, there's a mandatory 14-day quarantine for anyone coming into Hawaii, which has now been extended through October 15th. This essentially bans tourists from entering until October 18 uh, October 15th, maybe beginning October 15th, travelers who test negative for COVID within 72 hours prior to their flight may be exempt. Not for sure, but may be exempt from the 14-day quarantine mandate. There's been a resort bubble, so to speak, that's being developed. This concept to open tourism on Kauai. But right now, visitors are urged to postpone their trips to Hawaii so that the local communities can address the crisis without tourism invading the healthcare system. On Oahu, right now, David, there's a stay-at-home order. Everyone on the island has to stay at home. That may be lifted soon. Uh, if you wanted to leave for Oahu today, you'd have to fill out a form explaining why and where you will be quarantining. While you're there each and every day, you would need to check in with a travel app that they've created. You would need to leave this location where you're quarantined uh, on the the travel app. And if you do get caught not quarantining, it's punishable by imprisonment or a fine. After your 14 days, you've cleared the quarantine. You can now move about, but you're not allowed to because there's a stay-at-home order. Travel to Hawaii is simply not recommended. Obviously, this is all fluid and changing, but it doesn't look like there's going to be any updates to this until October 15th, which would be just, uh, you know, whatever it is, a month from the first event. Oahu vacation rentals are closed, and Hawaii beaches are open only for exercise, fishing, and food gathering, congregation, i.e. a surf event, is not allowed parks trails and beaches are limited to solo exercise and access to the ocean
0: in short there's no chance they're doing a pipe masters
2: yeah i would agree with that or the triple crown which starts november
0: 12th and there's no chance i mean look this feels like the exact same conversation you and i were having in march at the beginning of march where we're like hey so scott um is the boardroom show going to happen in May? It's like, well, I would like to, but I'm not. We're in the exact same spot. Yeah. And call it off. Cut cut the losses now. Call it off. Don't make any promises that you can't keep to anybody. And the WSL, like, there's, they actually have a risk. They have a liability by not only bringing surfers, asking surfers to travel, bring them into that environment, they have a responsibility to Oahu to not come in and infect them, you know, yep. infect their land, which yep. I, I mean, look, if the people living there are currently locked down at a stay at home order, they're going to be like, well, when we get out, we need a bit of breathing room for a while before all of the tourists. I mean, I'm sure that there are, there's plenty of people that are also eager for tourism to come back because so much of the economy is based on that. But also it's like, dude, ease it ease us into it and what there's one thing to like allow tourists to come back there's it's a different thing to have professional sporting events held on island that's going to drive you know uh, tourism in that way so i don't think there's any chance that this happens in a month
2: well the billabong pipeline masters is the first event of the 2021 season So it looks like that's going to be canceled. By the way, back in June, which was a while ago, there was a survey of local Hawaiian residents. 81% of those surveyed said they didn't want tourists visiting their community. Yeah, that makes
0: perfect sense. Yeah. Well, bummer. I mean, bummer for the WSL, bummer for us as surf fans, but... There's bigger fish to fry here. Much bigger fish to fry. And how about, let's see a plan B. I would love to see a plan B.
2: Plan B is like rewatching. I don't know some event somewhere from 2015. Maybe they'll do like Adriano's season 2015 and rewind or something.
0: Yeah,
2: Uh, that's what they've been doing. So Um,
0: Murph the Surf.
2: Yeah, I got him down here too. I know you mentioned a documentary film that you watched that you enjoyed, right?
0: No, it's a new. It's a podcast series that's out. that this reporter spent, I don't know, eight months or so interviewing Murph and like spending time with him and doing all the research and uh, made a nine, I think it's a nine part podcast series about it. And so I had him on to discuss the whole thing. And um,
2: well, Let's bring Warshaw into this because Yeah, go for it. Do you have his? Yeah, so, so Warshaw, I- I emailed Warsaw this story, actually, when it came out in Florida today, the day he died. I'm like, hey, Matt, you know, FYI, just sent that off. And then he sent me back a thing. It was like, I can't believe the East Coast Hall of Fame put this guy in there. You know, At the end of the day, this guy brutally murdered two women, like just tore open their torsos. And, and it's all over the Internet right now, what Matt said. I just happened to notice that Beach Crit did the, a full-on...
0: They... they- Matt wrote the article and published it on Beach Rip.
2: Yeah. And, um, and so that's what's fascinating to me about this Murph the Surf story is Warshaw's reply to it, which is how can the East Coast Hall of Fame just ignore the fact that this guy brutally murdered two women? Totally. And um, so what, I guess my question to you is, as a society, especially in the United States, we've been really big on giving people a second chance. And look what Murph the Surf did after he sort of went to jail. He had a come-to-Jesus moment, and he did a lot of good, according to Murph the Surf fans. Um, he was doing prison his, prison ministry. Right, prison ministry. He was, I don't even know how he got out of prison, if he murdered two women, but he got out. He was paroled, and he did all these great things, or so-called great things, regarding ministry, Right. Um, but if you're the head of the East Coast Surfing Hall of Fame, and certainly he has credentials to be a Hall of Famer, you know, and I guess it kind of comes down to what does it take to be a Hall of Famer? You know, like you just gotta open up surf shops and do a lot for the surfing industry and 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 two murders be damned, you're in. And so, and then like it's kind of interesting that there's not a lot of forgiveness on matt's end of the equation Uh, and you know matt i'm sure would argue hey talk to these women's parents you know like how do you think they feel about murph the surf becoming a hall of famer so i've thought long and hard
0: about this as well because obviously i listened to that podcast series and i had to interview the guy and so i was steeped in it for a couple of weeks and it's interesting that so much of the reporting doesn't report on the murders because he also was responsible for the largest jewel heist in American history at that time where he and another buddy, um, stole the star of India and it was actually like 23 jewels out of this museum in New York. And, um, so that it was sexy. It was like these good looking charismatic surfers, championship surf East coast champion surfer is also a jewel thief and there's no, there were no victims in that um, heist. Like nobody actually, they didn't brandish a weapon. Like the guard didn't get hit over the head, nothing. They were in and they were out. So there was a lot of, and they made a Hollywood movie about it. So all the reporting kind of focuses on that. In the murders at Whiskey Creek, he never actually fesses up to. He and another guy were on the boat. A Witness saw them going out with the two women on the boat. The women did not come back and the bodies were later found brutally yeah. murdered. And so Jack in, uh, never fesses up to it. Gets. Does he, say
2: he, that he didn't do it.
0: Yeah. He said that he did not do it. He said that it actually wasn't until years later. The first, I think the guy that I interviewed, the reporter said the first instance that he found of Jack saying that there was actually a third accomplice on the boat that was responsible for the murders and that Jack witnessed it, but he didn't actually pull the trigger or assist in the murders. The first time that this reporter identified that version of Jack's story was in 2015. So well after Jack went to trial, well after Jack served prison time, well after Jack had come out of prison, he came up with this story that there was a third person on the, or I I should say a fifth person on the boat. So, in addition to um, all of the um, interviews that this Nathan Scott had done with Jack, Jack never really felt remorseful. He never not only did he not admit to it, but he was like real cagey whenever he was asked about it. And so Nathan got a hold of the victims' families, and the families were actually really reticent to engage with him because the media had done such a poor job of focusing attention on the victims. Even at the time with the murders, they were still talking more about the heist that took place years ago. So, but the whole point of Nathan Scott's uh, podcast series was to shine light on the victims and to kind of hold Jack accountable for his role in the murders, whether or not he actually pulled the trigger. Just hold some, express some level of sorrow or sadness or something. I mean, you didn't come
2: back from the boat, tie the boat up to the dock and go call the cops.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And so the fact that Jack never really fessed up to any of that or took any responsibility for it makes him a lot less redeemable in my mind. So I've struggled with this exact thing of like, is Warshaw, why doesn't Warshaw have more sympathy for this guy or more forgiveness and grace for a guy who clearly turned his life around i don't know that jack murphy necessarily did any of that stuff in earnestness like he was such a showman that you kind of wonder is his prison ministry a way for him uh to cover up the bad deeds or is he
2: sincerely you know well, I mean, I, don't I, know. Just think that, I, I just think at the core, a core value of Jesus Christ is honesty, you know? And so if you're going to wave the exactly. Jesus Christ flag, then you better be honest one way or the other, you know, but right. to be cagey is to suggest dishonesty, which is to suggest that he's not following the path that Jesus Christ laid down. Right. And so, you know, Yeah.
0: I I think that you just, I I really, I'm
2: glad Matt brought that to light that there's not a lot of, you know, and I'm glad the podcast guy did too.
0: I really just wanted there to be a moment of um, apology and accepting his role and feeling sorrow for it. And there was none of that at any moment through it. And so it made me a lot less sympathetic to his Uh, own kind of situation and also made me feel like he was more of a snake oil salesman than an earnest prison minister, you know, not to speak disparagingly of um, the recently deceased Jack Murphy, by the way, died at his home in Crystal River, Florida, September 12th, 2020 at the age of 83. He had diabetes and some other complications. So it was probably just all health related. The cause of death was not stated at the time that this was all reported on. But certainly an interesting figure.
2: Yeah, he was interesting. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, I, have,
2: um, I have a couple of things. I have a musty moment, and I have a Duke. Okay, let's hear him. Well, my musty moment is. I think his name's Air Brown. You okay. know this guy, Ari. Oh. Ari Ari Brown,
0: the finless surfer in Australia.
2: Yeah, yeah Ari yeah. Brown. There's a there's a, An episode on Surfer Magazine called Alternative Lines, I believe. And I might have this messed up. I just watched this. It's fascinating. Ari Brown's Alternative Lines. Wizards are real and they surf finless. (laughs) And it's produced by Fun Boys Entertainment. And it's a classic sort of mockumentary style interview with Ari Brown as he surfs on an array of equipment. Finless boards, foils, guns, fishes, uh, single fins, foamies. And, and he takes this real, like I said, sort of like um, parody on this wizardry thing. And it's pretty fun. I actually laughed out loud. I LOL'd, emojied. And uh, I urge you, Davey, I think you'll enjoy it a lot. I haven't seen
0: it, but Ari is amazing. He's hilarious. And his surfing is Gumby-like. It's yes.
2: really interesting. Yes, this guy is highly marketable, in my opinion. For Ari. sure. Um,
0: my musty moment is Cloud Chase. This is it's about an eight-minute um, short edit with John John Florence, Nathan Florence, Matt Biola, and Albie Layer attempting backflips and double alley-oops in the windy uh, surf of Maui and completing them. It's crazy. Really, really radical surfing. Um, great production value to the piece. So Cloud Chase, will post it on spitpodcast.com. The other thing that I'm really enjoying more and more all the time is the Ragland
2: Surf Report. Did you see that? That most recent one was Strider. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's about
0: the Ragland Surf Report where he's not a pyramid scheme. He's selling this surf supplement, but it's not a pyramid scheme. That's the one you're talking about. Yeah. It's so funny. And they're showing before and afters of people who have taken the supplement and there's three or four of them, but one of them is Strider on the left and Ellen DeGeneres as the after. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> that one made me laugh out loud. That Ragland Surferboard's pretty classic.
0: It's so good. It pops up and it's, th- sometimes they're three to five minutes and I'm like, God, I don't want to sit. I'm just scrolling. I don't want to three spend three to five minutes. And within 20 seconds, he's got me rolling, just <laughs> laughing so hard. It's so good. Uh. So people should just follow that on Instagram and watch all of them because they're, I thought the guy was going to run out of steam, you know, Luke Cederman, like a year or two ago. I'm like, well, he's funny, but this gimmick can only last. He's only getting better and sharper. So <laughs> my, my Duke is, uh, this story was reported on um, on Beach Grit. Lou Harris of the Black Surfing Association in Rockaway, New York. He gives free surf lessons and ocean safety lessons to kids. Um, And basically, the Black Surfing Association has a couple different divisions, but he's the founding member of the division that operates in Queens. And this is his quote, and I think it kind of sums it all up. He says, I don't care if you're black, white, Asian, or Muslim. If there's five of you and you're hanging out on the corner with no job, you're going to get into trouble. And so he offers this, based out of Queens, um, again, free surf lessons, ocean safety, actually does free skate lessons as well, and uh, takes kids surfing in Rockaway. So it seems like a really good program that he's running, and by all accounts of everybody in the community think he's amazing. So shout out to Lou Harris.
2: Cool, that's very cool. So my Duke, actually two guys, Doug Falter is one of them. Doug is a surfer who lost his surfboard at Waimea Bay in February of 2018 in huge waves and was amazed to discover that it had been found in the Philippines recently, 5,200 miles away, His lost surfboard in a big swell at Waimea, out to sea. I was really upset as I managed to catch the biggest waves of my life on this board, he wrote. That's why this board means so much to me. Doug Falter had hoped that a local fisherman might find the or that it might wash up in Kauai, which he heard was a possible landing spot for lost boards, but he never thought it would turn up in the Philippines, 5,200 miles away. Um, The new owner had purchased the board from a Filipino fisherman to learn how to surf, and then he contacted our friend, David, Hawaii-based board shaper Lyle Carson on Facebook, Uh, Said Doug Falter, the board's owner, as bummed as I was when I lost it, now I'm happy to know my board fell into the hands of someone wanting to learn the sport in the Philippines. So the new board's owner is also my Duke, Giovanni Bronzuela. He's a primary school teacher in the Philippines. And he bought the board for $40 from a local fisherman. And um, this was six months after the board got away from Doug at Waimea. The board has since turned uh, pale. Um, yellow color, of course, due to the sun damage. But the name Lyle Carson was still visible. So Giovanna contacted Lyle Carson, who alerted Doug Falter of the miraculous find. Um, it turned out to be a surfboard from Hawaii, and I couldn't believe it myself, said Giovanna Brunsuela. It's been my dream to learn to surf and ride the big waves here in the Philippines. For now, I can use his surfboard. I told him I will take good care of it. So Falter and Giovanna have been in contact via Facebook. And of course, Falter wants to go over there, but because of the COVID thing, they're kind of on a wait-and-see thing. But eventually, um, Doug has been sending um, some learning, um, you know, books and some um, necessities for Giovanna t- to use in his primary teaching capacity, primary uh, school teacher. And um, eventually, he's going to go over there with a board that might be better for Giovanna to learn on, and they'll, I'm imagining, going to swap boards and. Doug will get his original board back. Crazy. Yeah, those are my. What days. a
0: crazy story. Yeah. What are the
2: odds? Yeah.
0: Uh, where did that? Did Lyle post that in his Instagram?
2: Where no, did you see I that? found it on CNN. Believe it or not, that's insane. Yeah. Wow,
0: that shows how terrible of reporters we have in surfing. <laughs> journalists in surfing. <laughs> if CNN beats us all to the story. Oh yeah. I yeah, don't yeah. think Lyle would post that. Um, That's crazy. I mean, I'm baffled by that. Uh, My kook, I have two kooks, uh, Squire Winter and Sarah Foote. Squire Winter was arrested for stalking Stephanie Gilmore. And Sarah Foote actually just got bailed out um, for an earlier arrest where she was stalking McFanning. What's up with these stalkers, dude? (laughs) Don't stalk our surf stars. Here's the great thing about being a surf celebrity is it's not like being a celebrity at all. You can, you can still roam the world with complete anonymity. It's just you make a little bit more money than you would if you weren't a pro surfer, and uh, you get to surf for a living. You don't have to work a real job. So these hey, stalkers to, are to blame for ruining... What happened
2: ruining. to the troops from, from the Salt Creek incident?
0: You know what? I actually... Uh, I don't know if he didn't reply to my last text message or vice versa, but I never got to the bottom of that one. I need to look into it, actually. Okay, we'll get back to that. Yeah, get back to it. So, right. stalkers, kooks.
2: Have you,
0: you, you ever dealt with a stalker, Scott? Uh,
2: no, thank God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, if we do I'm not our- not on
2: that level, dude, I'm not on that level. Hey,
0: okay, if we do our job good enough here, you just might end up with a stalker.
2: That's where we cross the line. If we ever get stalkers, we have to quit. Um Well, David, I think we've done a great show today. Um, I'm proud of it. I just think that. I don't know that. I just think that. And um, until next time, adios and aloha.
1: Just like a buzzing fly, I'll come into your life. now float away like honey in the sun. Wrong, I couldn't sing that song anyway. Oh, but darling, now I remember how the sun shone down and how I warmed your green smile when all the love was there. You're oh, the one I talk about, you're oh, the one I think about. I miss so. That's how I know I found a whole That's how I know I. The flows down to the sea. Now I wanna go. How I know I've found the home. That's how I know.